The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode 142. So excited to be talking to all you indie artists. Oh my God, so much stuff to talk about. So little time to talk about it all. Just woo, crazy, crazy. All right, deep breath. First things first, let me tell you about our guest this week. Coming up in the next segment, so excited to welcome back our dear friend, Sherry Hu, the music industry journalist from Billboard and Forbes. She's awesome. She's brilliant. We're going to talk to her about a whole bunch of things because here's the thing. When Sherry Hu comes to the Break the Business podcast, it's just a golden opportunity for us to take whatever's going on in the music industry right now, Spotify, United Masters, whatever it is, and just throw it all at her because she's going to have something to say about all of it because she's probably written about all of it at some point because she's just really prolific at what she does and she's so, so bright. And we're going to get some tips from her along the way because she's really knowledgeable about the industry and she's going to have some great advice for you guys. So don't go anywhere. Sherry Who coming up in the next segment. It's going to be fantastic. Okay, here's the thing, listeners. I was all ready to talk at length this week about the Music Modernization Act because on this podcast, we talk about the things that are important to indie artists and the Music Modernization Act is important and we've talked about it for a number of weeks and there's been a lot of news about it this week and I was all ready to talk about it. It's an important law. It's going to help get songwriters like you paid more when their music is streamed. It sailed through the House of Representatives, but it was stalling in the Senate because interest groups were lobbying against it. But now it looks like a compromise has been reached. Now the bill's moving forward again, and so that's great. And I was going to talk about all that this week because I'm passionate about entertainment law, but here's the thing. I want to talk about something else instead because I am passionate about entertainment law. But those who know this podcast and have been religious devotees of this podcast, know that there is something else in this world about which I am equally passionate, and that is Star Trek. And there was some amazing Star Trek news that I want to talk about instead. Brace yourselves if you haven't heard the news. Patrick Stewart has announced that he is going to be on a new Captain Picard Star Trek series. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is my dream come true. It's like, it's like the Star Trek people got every letter I've been sending since I was like 12 years old. This is so incredible. And so I want to talk about that instead. And I know it doesn't have anything about anything to do with the music industry, but it's my show. So I can do that because my favorite actor who is going to be playing my favorite character in television and he's coming back to television. I am in I'm going to watch every episode. I'm so in. What? It's going to be on CBS All Access, so I have to pay for it? Take my money. Here's a blank check. Do what you got to do, CBS All Access, because I am in. Let's do this. I'm so excited. Captain Picard is back on television. Ooh, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm giddy. And, and now, some of you more savvy listeners to this podcast might be saying to yourself right now that my position about being really excited about this runs against something that I've said previously on this podcast. About four months ago, I had a rather pointed rant on this show where I 
lamented Hollywood's obsession with just recycling old stories and old characters over and over rather than creating new ideas. And here's what I said. TV and films today are just ridiculous with how much they just recycle stuff. Everything today is, is a reboot or an adaptation or a remake or a sequel. And nobody in Hollywood is taking chances with new ideas anymore. Everything is just stuff from before. You know, it's rebooting Roseanne instead of coming up with a new idea for a sitcom. And, you know, Hollywood would rather throw something old, you know, out there again than to create something new because, I mean, I get where they're coming from. Like, when you when you attach existing intellectual property to something, you have a better... All right, all right. I can hear what you're all saying now. Ryan, you're such a hypocrite. You hate that Hollywood doesn't create original stuff anymore, but then you get all excited when they trot out an 80-year-old Patrick Stewart to play a character that hasn't been on television in two and a half decades. You're the worst, Ryan. But you know what? I have a perfectly good explanation for all of that. And that explanation is that I am a huge hypocrite. I am absolutely and totally and unequivocally willing to abandon my ideals if it means that I get to see Captain Picard go on space adventures again. I don't care how old he is, and I don't care how long it's been. I don't care about any of it because this is awesome. Picard is back. This is great. Make it so. Okay, rant over. We, we do need to talk some music industry on this show before we bring in Sherry Who. So let's let's talk a little bit of music industry. Thank you, indie artists and those who love them, for indulging me in my Star Trek rant for a few minutes. But now we're back. We're focused because there is a lot of, a lot of music industry stuff to talk about this week. And I want to make sure you as artists are informed. Let's talk about Twitch. That's definitely something that's become a super important platform for indie artists. We past guests on this podcast have used it and it has made and it's really helped their careers out. Live streaming is the future of your business, indie artists. A lot of artists are doing great things on live streaming platforms, and Twitch has kind of really been on the forefront of that. Uh, one of our favorite people to have on this podcast, Mary Amber, has been crushing it on Twitch the last few months. And I got to bring her on again to talk about just all the great stuff she's doing on Twitch. And I, and I keep just, you know, forgetting to do it because we keep bringing on people like Sherry who absolutely need to be on because she's great. But we're going to bring her back on again at some point to talk about it because Twitch has been great for indie artists, but it's not without its controversy. And we saw that last week in an article that was written by a friend of our podcast, Aaron M. Jacobson, great entertainment lawyer. She wrote an article in Forbes magazine that was entitled, How Amazon's Twitch.tv Cheats Music Creators. Well, I know what you're thinking. Well, it's you said it was a good platform. It's helping people like Mary Amber, but Aaron M. Jacobson saying it's cheating music creators. What gives? Well, Aaron writes in the article, that Twitch is not doing enough to protect music creators from having their music streamed on the platform without their permission. And this is obviously problematic, but what are its full implications for artists like you, indie artists like you? Well, honestly, I think the situation's a little more complex. On the one hand, yes. Aaron is absolutely right about a lot of things she says in that article about Twitch. A lot of the streamers that are streaming like video games, of them playing video games on Twitch, a lot of those streamers are streaming music that does not belong to them. And that's taking money out of your pockets as artists because they're not getting the rights to using that music. And, you know, it, and, and that's obviously bad for whomever created that music. 
But for indie artists, as I said before, Twitch also presents a lot of opportunities. A lot of folks on this show and a lot of you out there have used Twitch to reach fans. You do cover videos, you play your music on Twitch, you build your fan base, and a lot of you have made decent money from that platform. And so it's a tricky situation. It's a lot to untangle. And so we need to ask ourselves, are there ways to improve the things about Twitch that are problematic for indie artists and do it in a way that will not destroy a platform that has shown itself to be quite valuable for indies like you? Let's talk more about that with Sherry Hu. She's coming up next on the Break the Business podcast. She is an award-winning music industry journalist who writes frequently for Forbes and Billboard. She has spoken at South by Southwest, Meetem, and Fast Forward, and will be leading a workshop on social media strategy at the DIY Musician Conference in Nashville later this month. You can find out more about her by visiting www.cheriehu.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are happy to welcome back Sherry Hu on the Break the Business podcast. Hey, Sherry. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so excited to have you back on. Folks, if this is your first experience with Sherry Who on this podcast, let me give you the lowdown, okay? She's brilliant. Harvard-educated, Juilliard-educated, published everywhere, speaks all over the world. And Sherry, the last time we had you on the show, this was back in October, uh, you've been busy. From what I've seen on your Twitter timeline, it basically seems like you've spent pretty much every moment since we last spoke traveling to conferences because you've been in really high demand. You've been all over the world speaking, leading panels. So I guess what I want to ask is how insane are your frequent flyer miles right now? Can you just vacation wherever <laughs> you want for the rest of your life? Are you like George Clooney and up in the air? Oh my gosh, that would be, that's like a dream, maybe. I'm, <laughs> I'm on my way for sure. <laughs> But like, I mean, that would be how it works, right? Like, like wherever these people fly you, like you still get to keep the miles, right? I assume that's the big selling yes. point of all the jet lag you're going through. <laughs> For sure. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Well, well, tell the folks about what you've been up to. Like, like, and, and, and just sort of out of my curiosity, have, have this just been like things picking up for you? Like you've been traveling a lot more than usual lately? Cause I feel like I've just been seeing you traveling all the time now. Yeah. Well, so, uh, like I feel like early summer, like late May, early June is prime music conference season. And I've been writing about music and tech for a couple of years, but there were quite a lot of conferences that I'd heard about over and over again that I hadn't had a chance to go to. And they all happened to be within like just one week after the other. So uh, there was, so I went to Meetem for the first time in France in the beginning of June. And I was also in Nashville for the very first time for Music Biz in May. And I also went to Primavera Sound, which is one of the uh, biggest music festivals in Europe, I think, let alone the world. Uh, it was really great. And they have a really good conference on the side. And I also went to IMS Ibiza, which is more electronic music focused. And the last conference that I sort of did on that trip was going to Melbourne for the first time. They, they're, they're launching a brand new music and tech focused conference there called Changes and uh, an amazing festival just of all local indie artists in Melbourne. So that was really fascinating for me to see in terms of like the indie artist community almost having a stronger presence than the major label community there uh, in like very stark contrast to what you would see at a music biz or a meetup. So yeah, I've, I've been really fortunate to have uh, just such a diverse experience across all of these conferences, which uh, honestly, I didn't really expect, but I'm, yeah, so I'm really glad to have gone to so many places. 
All right. Now, as a frequent conference goer, I know this is the case. So where in your place is your giant pile of lanyards? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) There there is. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I can visualize right now there is a place in my apartment. It's like a specific corner where I've just kept. I have a lot of lanyards. I have a lot of totes. Oh, yes. Like branded totes, conference totes. Mm -hmm. Um, Swag bags. So many of those like those like little those rubbery squeeze balls with some company's logo on it. Right. Oh, uh, battery packs, which actually are very useful. Oh my god! I've gotten yes. a couple of those. Mm-hmm. I, I've I've never had to buy like a phone charger in my life. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we like having Sherry on, folks, because whenever there's a big issue going on in the music industry that affects indie artists, Sherry's writing about it, and often in a widely read publication. So I know I can go to her on a wide variety of topics, and she's probably written at least a few thousand words on it in the last month. Um, but before we talk about some of your articles, I wanted to first see if you could lend your thoughts on a conversation we were actually having in the previous segment about Twitch. So last week, entertainment lawyer Aaron M. Jacobson wrote an article in Forbes entitled How Amazon's Twitch Cheats Music Creators. And in the article, she talks about how music creators aren't being compensated when Twitch performers are using music when live streaming on the platform. The article lays a lot of the blame on Twitch for not facilitating a licensing scheme for that music. And after Aaron posted that article, you wrote some comments on Twitter that had kind of a different perspective on Twitch. Can you talk about it? Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, just the timing was pretty funny because I, the day before, I just finished writing an article that should be out in a couple of weeks, sort of arguing the opposite, namely that uh, Twitch is, if used correctly, like with the proper strategy, is an amazing monetization opportunity, fan engagement opportunity for artists or for creators of, of any sort of background or passion, frankly. And it's not trying to cheat anybody. It's just sort of a different um, way of doing things. But yeah, so on one hand, I do understand where Aaron is coming from in that, so Twitch brings in the majority of its revenue or its primary sort of uh, value to the fan or to the consumer is this live streaming. And while you're live streaming, you know, fans can donate directly through things called bits to the creators who they're watching. Um, They also make money through subscriptions which give, you know, unlimited access and a subscriber-only chat forum during live stream. So all the bulk of the money is made during um, live streaming. And, and, Twitch, and Twitch has been proactive about at least, like, identifying content that should be infringing, um, or identifying co- content, sorry, that is infringing and then taking it down. But they're only doing that on archived videos mm. so after the live streaming is taking place, um, i.e., while the platform is not making the majority of the money or sort of is not, you know, focused on the primary value proposition. So I, I understand where Aaron is coming from. Um, but that said, I think it's sort of missing the point. So actually, I, uh, I'm i curious to hear your perspective on this too, but it's the, the debate is very reminiscent of how um, people who are critical versus supportive think about YouTube and the fact that um, like YouTube for sure it's like arguably the biggest music streaming service but it doesn't uh, you know pay out very you know fair royalty rates arguably to the creators or to rights holders um, but then a lot of people myself included personally would think that that's sort of missing the point sort of missing what YouTube is really good for which is cultivating community um, and making sort of 
taking advantage of the features that are unique to the platform that you literally can't find anywhere else, um, like a live chat room in, in Twitch, for instance. And so I think that that's what I'm trying to get at in my article is that there are, um, yeah, so th that's, that's one element of it. So one, there are certain features unique to Twitch that anyone can use to, uh, to grow their career and to draw users on Twitch to other revenue streams that do make you money. Like uh, all Twitch creators very actively are saying, oh, come support me on Patreon or for, on the musician side, come stream my music on Spotify or Apple Music. Like this, it's not like they're preventing people from helping them make money. Um, but then on the other hand, so in my tweet, uh, I talk about something that Erin, I don't think mentioned in her piece at all, which is this royalty-free music library that Twitch launched in 2015 and um, is, is continuing to grow. And there's an open form online where anyone can apply to be part of that library. And it has quite a few labels that are really well known, at least in their respective genres. So um, Steve Aoki's label, Dimmock, has a lot of music in that library. Um, Skrillex's label has a lot of music there. Rhyme Sayers, really renowned hip hop label, has a lot of music on there. So there are all these uh, bigger indie labels and Spinning Records, which is now technically a major, owned by Warner. Um, but they're they're sort of they are buying into the value of Twitch, even if they're not generating any money for the music in that library, and they're realizing that the value goes just beyond like the royalty checks that they get. So that's sort of the scope of. Yeah, what I see that relationship being. Oh, for sure. And, and there's really two thoughts that are running through my head when I listen to what you're saying. And first, my feeling on it as an entertainment lawyer, when I think about my client's best interests, is I'm kind of conflicted because mm -hmm. on one hand, I have clients who you know, have gained so much from being with Twitch. And, you know, we've had you know, guests on this podcast who have really advanced their careers on that platform and owe that platform so much. And so I, I have clients whose lives professionally have been made better by Twitch. I also have clients who despise the platform because their music's getting out there. You know, people are streaming it on video while they're doing video games or whatever. And or like or just somebody's covering their song and not compensating them. I've so I've seen both sides of it, but. My feeling is whenever there's a technology that's being disruptive and it's kind of ruffling some feathers in the copyright world, I I find myself erring more and more as time goes on to just staying out of technology's way. I mean, the music industry has way too many examples of us fighting the latest innovation, whether it's downloading or streaming or CDs or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, whole companies and industries and people's jobs get decimated in the process because when a new innovation comes, it's here and you can't slow it down. You have the industry has to find a way to live with it and to build new structures around it. And if you mm. fight it, then, you know, you have two thousand all over again. <laughs> mm. Right. No, that's yeah, I think that's a really good point. And just thinking about the uh, at least the mainstream music industry and i would say a lot of the indie music industry as well like the relationship with technology and with streaming especially i feel like uh yes to say to say you are sort of against how twitch is treating musicians and creators when it comes to compensating them fairly for content being used um then but i, I feel like a lot on the other hand there is this fear that i'm feeling and I, I definitely heard this at the conferences i was at of people like funneling too much of their energy 
into companies like Spotify or Apple Music, where um, for sure there's like Spotify's UX is, is amazing and there's so much opportunity for discovery, for expanding your horizons, but it's sort of the opposite of Twitch in terms of its social features. Um, this has definitely come up a lot more this year. It's something that's lacking on Spotify. Uh, for sure on Apple Music, they've tried to launch social features, but just haven't uh, really, they haven't really taken off maybe because the brand association isn't there. So it all, yeah, I think it all goes back to your goal as an artist. If your goal is to um, like make maximize the amount of money that you're making, then yes, of course, like you definitely need to care about, uh, you know, every last, every last penny, every last dollar counts. But uh, if on top of that, you want to cultivate a fan base and, and a community and also help fans find each other, which I feel like is actually quite challenging given just how many channels there are now, like social media channels, video channels to, to find out about an artist. Like that, that act of fans finding each other and creating their own communities is really difficult. And I think that's one of Twitch's uh, best value propositions is like fans, you know, chatting with each other in real time, uh, like during, during a live video stream. So yeah, just thinking about your goals as an artist, or as you know, as someone representing an artist, and what are the best platforms to achieve that, and being realistic about that. Like Spotify, um, as of right now, isn't really helping that action of fans connecting with each other, for instance. Well, l- let me ask you about Spotify, and because this is such a short interview, like I could ask you a hundred questions that I want to <laughs> get information from you about Spotify, but I, I want to see if I can just kind of like compile all the Spotify questions into something that's horribly open-ended and completely unfair to you as an interviewee. But in the last few months, we've had, you know, Spotify has had an IPO. They're talking about bypassing mm-hmm. record labels, doing direct deals with artists, but then, and those things seem exciting, but then there's also lawsuits and Apple Music might be outpacing them. And people are wondering if Spotify can really be viable when it doesn't have a hardware solution. So it may not be as vertically integrated as, you know, say Apple is. Um, so let's see, open-ended question, Spotify, how's it looking? What's its future? <laughs> and again, I preface no, it, I completely mean, it's, unfair it's, question to you. <laughs> no, that's, it's a great, it's a really great question. And yeah, I, I think uh, there is this realization that Spotify has, so as of right now, Spotify is in this really uh, like closely tied relationship with, the major record labels in terms of like licensing deals that they have and Spotify is realizing that to make its bottom line much better now that it's a public company and people are expecting um, more and more people are expecting profits in the near future, at least stockholders, they sort of needs to decouple that relationship. And there's been a lot of tension around that. Like, yeah, I think on their blog, this generated a little buzz, but they on their Spotify for artists blog, there is an artist interview that like very openly was against the idea of signing to a label and just saying, Oh, you can do everything yourself. You can be self-sufficient. So they're definitely pushing that narrative more and more. And, uh, and so until they decouple or if they, yeah. So yeah, until they decouple from the major labels in terms of that licensing financial picture, just thinking about other ways that they can generate more revenue. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of conversation about how they're competing with Apple. I think Apple Music is already the top service in the U.S. At least that, that's what the company claims. That would need to be fact-checked. But they said that they're the 
top company in the U.S. And they're definitely on pace to beat Spotify in terms of active subscribers in the U.S. and in Japan and in Canada. And those are the three markets. And uh, yeah, and I think part of it is really like that they're shipping more hardware that has the the service bundled to it. Like that's totally the the approach that Amazon's taking too with Amazon Music and their whole suite of smart speakers and smart devices. Um, Google as well. I'm pretty sure they're bundling YouTube Music um, with their Google Home and other devices. Uh, so Spotify, I can see over the last couple of months they've tried to like do their own bundles. And interestingly, none of them have been with hardware. They've been with uh, content. So the biggest one is Spotify and Hulu. That's that's quite a popular deal, actually. Like I know um, quite a lot of people, at least in my immediate circle, especially uh, people in younger generations like millennials or Gen Z who are uh, actively using that service. And they're, um, they've, so a couple of user surveys have leaked about them uh, trying out bundles with vinyl subscription services which is really interesting to me, like like the Vinyl Me Pleases or Vinyl V-N-Y-L. Like just, there are a couple of subscription startups like those out there or um, audiobook bundles as well. So they, in the survey, they said, oh, how would you feel about a bundle with Hulu and with scri- Scribd? I think that's how you pronounce it, S-C-R-I-B-B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Scribd or Scribd or something like that. <laughs> right. I've yeah. always seen it in print. <laughs> Yeah, so they're, they're thinking about all this, but what's so interesting to me is that it's all based in content and not based in hardware or physical distribution, which, as you said, would sort of nail that vertical integration. And they just, they just really haven't settled down on something that has really been proven to work. So, yeah, this is uh, going back to the very open-ended question of, like, <laughs> where where is it going? I mean, it's it's been it's been very clear, at least, with what has been revealed or leaked or announced that they're, they're really still trying to find their way. And these are like questions that, uh, that investors want them to answer and that they want to answer as well. Very, very cool. You can check her out at C H E R I E H U.com. Oh, and also she has a really cool mailing list called water and and music. You can find that at get R E V U E.co. She writes a lot of great articles about the music industry there. And, uh, also if you're going to be going to the DIY musician conference this month, definitely check out her workshop on social media strategy. As, as you can tell, she's super bright. We were talking vertical integration just now. This was like high level stuff, folks. Um, Sherry, before we let you go, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes. So I've been, yeah, I was trying to think of how I would answer this. And I think it's increasingly important not to take uh, data at face value. And so I wrote, I'm just thinking of just an example, going back to Spotify, I read an article about how one of their biggest um, electronic playlists, Mint, it's like a genre playlist, one of their flagship ones, uh, has around 5 million followers. So it's quite popular on, on that metric of followers. But actually for an average song, it generates fewer plays than a lot of other playlists that are much smaller in the sense of only having around a million followers, but uh, have a lot better engagement. Um, and so that that was... Um, I was pleasantly surprised by how how much traction that article got because I think a lot of people realized that they were judging the value of a playlist placement by follower count alone, which is uh, probably for a reason. The only data point that Spotify 
reveals publicly, at least right. to the end user, um, when when in reality that wasn't uh, that didn't paint the whole picture in terms of the value that it was bringing. So uh, yeah, that, that would be my general piece of advice. Don't take any given data point or stat at face value. Always try to understand the context around it, or maybe realize that there might be a deeper story. Sherry, who everybody? Don't be a stranger, Sherry. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Yeah, likewise. Thank you.